Well, there we go. Hey, everybody, welcome to Pope Francis Generation. Hi, Paul, and welcome to Gloria. We're so lucky to have you with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me to come and have this conversation. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Now, over to you, Paul. Why are we bringing Gloria on to our humble show? What are we talking about today? Yeah, I've been listening to to Gloria Purvis's podcast for, I think it's been out for almost a couple of years now. And I've listened to every episode. And when people ask me what my favorite Catholic podcast is, uh, it's hers. I've been oh. challenged. I've... Uh, uh, I've cheered along with it, and uh, I'm just thrilled today to be talking with Gloria. Oh my gosh! I, <laughs> I'm if I could turn really red, I'd be doing that right now. <laughs> just wow! Thank you. That's that's quite a compliment. I'm I'm I, I don't even know what to say. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely, our pleasure. Well, let's dive in. Uh, the topic today is: Can a Catholic be woke? Uh, so friends, welcome to Pope Francis Generation. It's the show for Catholics struggling with the church's teaching, who feel like they might not belong in the church anymore, and who still hunger for a God of love and goodness. Your hosts are me, Paul Fahey, a professional catechist. And I'm Dominic, someone who needs catechesis. Together, we're taking our own look at the Catholic Church, her teachings and practices from three views that changed our world. And those are the Kerygma, the Doctrine of Theosis, and the teachings of Pope Francis. Together with you, we're the Pope Francis Generation. All right, Paul, take it away. Yes. So first, I'd like uh, to introduce uh, Gloria Purvis. Uh, she's an author, a commentator, and the host of an executive producer of the Gloria Purvis podcast. Through her media presence, she has been a strong Catholic voice for life issues, religious liberty, and racial, and racial justice. She has appeared in numerous media outlets, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, PBS, uh, PBS NewsHour, NPR, Newsweek, Catholic Answers Live, and she hosted the, the Morning Glory, an international radio show. She also presented a powerful video series entitled Racism, Human, Human Dignity, and the Catholic Church with Word on Fire. Most recently, she was part of a groundbreaking interview with Pope Francis with a delegation from America Media. She is an inaugural pastoral fellow at the McGrath Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame and recently received an honorary doctorate in humane letters from the University of Portland, Oregon. And that is a phenomenal bio, Gloria. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, it was through uh, an interview you did with, um, was it was it the Sam Rocha that you did oh, yeah. the interview with, mm -hmm. um, with Church Life Journal? Yeah, oh um, yeah. I think that was when um, you first came on, on my radar. That was back in summer of 2020. Oh, um, mm -hmm. And then I, I kind of followed your story from there. And when and you announced that you had a podcast coming. I was really excited. And like I said, I have uh, I've definitely listened to every episode. Oh, wow. And um, I think it's been just a fantastic contribution to the Catholic discussion in the U.S. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. That is just so affirming. And I sincerely appreciate your support and encouragement because this is very encouraging to hear this. Because um, what we want to do is really talk about the things that we should be talking about. And it seems like uh, with so much pushback from certain areas in the church to consider themselves very faithful um, to push back and deny the existence of racism, um, uh, denying systemic racism, all of these things just was disappointing to me, um, especially as I consider myself a believer, a faithful Catholic, and why somehow racism, the sin of racism, 
is the one sin that they say can no longer exist. Just doesn't make any sense with me uh, to me. I mean, we're still dealing with the effects of original sin. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, so the idea that in the United States we are not still dealing with the effects of racism as practiced for centuries in our country, even before we were a country, just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And so just wanted to explore a lot of different things with the podcast, of course, with that, and then other areas that I think would be interesting to people. So thank you for staying with me and listening to all those episodes. I, I'm just, I'm humbled. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, I want to start your your latest episode um, was about your interview with, with Pope Francis as a mm -hmm. part of a, a group from American Media. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I want to start there. What was it like Meeting the Holy Father and speaking with Wonderful. the Holy Father. I'm, oh I'm very gosh. jealous. I would. Uh, oh, there's, uh... <laughs> look, I brought you all with me. I was like, <laughs> I'm not here alone. I'm bringing everybody with me. Um, let me just say this. You know, I kind of chuckled at how the secular media in the United States is like, oh, he's 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 in a wheelchair. And oh, is he going to step down? Is he going to die? Homeboy looks so robust and healthy. OK, <laughs> when he came in. Um, yes, he uses a walker, but he's not like unsteady when he walks. He walks very straight, steady has a little walker. He just looks so robust and healthy. Great sense of humor. I'm telling you, if we had a bottle of wine and a steak, he'd have been happy. Okay. It was great. Um, and it was a long, and we were in there for two full hours. He never got tired, flagged, anything. And then he had something he wanted to give us. We're like, well, could we call those people outside? No, no, no. I'll get up and I'll. So he was getting up and getting things himself, you know, and he's someone that we came in and, and we didn't meet at the Apostolic Palace. Okay. We met at his house at Casa Santa Marta, which is really, really intimate. And so he didn't even have a big table. Like we were just all in chairs, sort of sitting in a circle, talking to each other. And he didn't have like some entourage to say, oh, wait, he was coming. He just like walked in. So very much it was clear that he's not. And he could have, you know, he could have made it in a way that, you know, we would just this is the Pope, you know, prepare yourselves type of thing. No, he came in um, as I would say, like a loving father, a loving grandfather, happy to see his children. And it was so wonderful um, to be received in that way. And um, I felt at ease immediately. I felt at ease immediately. And oh, let me, let me share this one little thing with you. As you're walking through Vatican City, like the parts that nobody gets to go through because you got to go through all the security with the Swiss guard. I saw this wall and it said in Latin, like, I think this is the site of Nero's circus and where the first apostle Peter was martyred. And I wanted to go behind that wall and go look in there. And then something to me said, no, you have to go meet the current Peter during his martyrdom. And I was like, oh, wow, gee. And I have to say, being there with him, sitting there, a lot of things were dawning on me as he was speaking. And, and, and one of the things that I found actually kind of painful is how much we don't in the American media, uh, not American media, American secular media, and even some Catholic media, they don't know him and they don't portray him as who he is. He's been caricatured to serve some other people's political interests in their, in their political bend. That is not at all who he is. Um, and it made me sad because I, I felt like so he'd been calumniated, you know, and he's just sitting there taking it. So now I understand a little bit why in my, like uh, the, I, this thought of in his current martyrdom uh, had come to me. And I'm, I, I, I meditate and I pray a lot. I'm a 
third order Carmelite. And so I, my interior life is one that I try to develop. So I felt like there was something being said to me while I was, you know, heading over to see the Holy Father. And looking at him, I understood. I understood why. This is someone who, as he said in his own words, I'm not a conqueror. I'm a shepherd. And so we want to see our world leaders, which they, people see the Holy Father as, as a conqueror, as someone that, you know, wields and executes power to their will and how much we like that, right? And he's doing it for us. That's not, he is a shepherd. He comes to love and encounter all in the name of Jesus Christ. And we do not know how to translate that. Yeah. Okay. And so we can only always everywhere seeing it as his being truly Catholic or not truly Catholic, or he's trying to do away with essential truths of the faith. And, and I could see just in talking with him, that's not the case. No one is discarded. No one. And I think he definitely embodies, you know, and lives out the understanding that every single person is made in the image and likeness of God and is worthy of dignity and respect. And he, he firmly understands that God wants all of us. He wants all of us to be in heaven with him forever. So the idea that you would throw away some people is just not, not in his ken, not in his even worldview. And you get that. And then I can understand why people totally do not understand why he talks or engages the way he does. Um, his is not to, and also being a Jesuit, also talking to Jesuits about that. Um, his is not, he is not a person to outright reject you. Even if you don't agree, he's trying to always dialogue. He's trying to always receive you where you are um, and love you and in some way introduce you to that love that God has for you. You know what I mean? So I'm still meditating a lot on um, the experience on and, and what he said. And maybe one day I'll write about it. But there's just so much there. And for all the people that want to doubt him or question whether he's a faithful Catholic, yes, he is. And stop looking at him in terms of temporal power, uh, you know, as if he's supposed to be this, you know, sort of like what they did with Jesus when he said, you know, he's a king, they had an idea and he's like, no, I'm going to get on that cross and die, yeah. you know? So uh, to everybody that's ever doubted, ever wondered, he is a, he, he, he's a, he's given his life to the Lord. He's trying to be docile to the Holy Spirit. He wants to uh, serve God, even in the cases where we, with our human eyesight, don't understand it or don't see it or even maybe tempted to accuse him of infidelity. I just beg everybody not to do that and to pray and to just trust in the Lord and um, not spend your time trying to say that the Pope is a heretic. It's just awful. So yeah, I, I felt so loved, so heard, and everything about how he interacted with us was authentic, was not clever. He's not trying to be, quote, some sly political answer to get around the point. No, he he spoke from the heart and he spoke directly to whatever we asked him. So and and in that interview, you weren't throwing him softball questions either. Um, I mean, no. he was asked about the war in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, he was asked about um, uh, ordaining women. Mm -hmm. He was asked about uh, you asked him about uh, 
both uh, racism in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Catholic Church and, mm-hmm. and and about the abortion and about abortion. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, how did he? Res- I mean, it, in writing, you can't really pick up the tone, but mm-hmm. in writing, he seems to receive those types of questions um, mm-hmm. w- with grace. Yeah, and and without slyness or cleverness, um, maybe as a good Jesuit, he always he also. Uh, uh, seems to respond uh, wisely as well. Yeah, how did how did he uh, receive those questions? Fine. I mean, he's <laughs> these are things that impact the faith, and um, he's a vic- the vicar of Christ. He was fine. He wasn't uncomfortable, and it wasn't. You know, he's probably like. I imagine, I am sure he's talked about all these things and has encountered. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, he was not caught off guard or worried or shifting his seat or anything like that he was giving us his 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 thoughts on it it was fine um and even when you know i i wanted to when i when he gave the first answer about racism he said you know you do have african-american bishops and i was like yeah but you know that's not our experience a typical african-american does not go to a parish with a black priest or predominantly black church we're in spaces with non-black people primarily white catholics white priests and helping him understand that you know, a lot of times <laughs> our suffering is um, is people are indifferent to it, or if we want to talk about it, um, hostile. And so also having over the last three years spoken to so many Black Catholics across the United States with their experiences and the kind of pain and hurt and myself trying to talk people into staying, you know, also trying to help people create community um, because of the kinds of things they're experiencing in their parish from their priest, what they're hearing from the AMBO, you know, deeply painful, deeply painful things. Um, and so wanting to get that across to the Holy Father and then for him to say to, say to them, I love you. I love you. I suffer with you. I am with you. Resist and stay. I mean... You know, what a bomb, what a bomb. And um, yeah, he he was just, and I wish people could have been there to hear the tenderness in his voice and the love with which he said these things. I can't even properly convey it to you. But I know I immediately was like, oh my gosh, this is such a bomb. And this is what people are are needing to hear you know they need to hear that the holy father loves you the holy father suffers with you stay stay so yeah and and that gentleness um that pastoral sense at least for me it definitely came across um reading the interview um but also what came across um, and he's made some of these comments uh, before, especially especially about um, life issues like like war mm-hmm. and, and abortion. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he he used this really strong language when talking about racism too. I think he called it, I think didn't he call it a grave sin or evil? Like he didn't parse words at all. Yeah, no, yeah, it's egregious. You know, I, I think he made it really clear that this is just an, a grave offense against God. Um, and and people need to hear that because I could tell you, I mean, just in my being in social media, how many Catholics will deny it or just say, why are you going on and on about this? As, <laughs> as if somehow we aren't supposed to talk about 
you know, sin, if we are to talk about specific sins. Uh, he says, racism is an intolerable sin against God. The church, the pastors and lay people must continue fighting to eradicate it and for a more just world. Yeah. A direct quote from him talking about intolerable sin against God. And, you know, you still have people saying it's not a thing. You know, yeah. we had a black president. How could you say there's racism? And I was like, you need to understand what racism is, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah. In, uh, in your show, it's clear that two of uh, two issues that seem very close to you and in the questions you asked the Holy Father as well uh, are, are racism and abortion. And um, uh, in the way you discuss them in your own show, you see them as tied together. Um, yeah. And I was hoping you could, uh, how do you see um, those two issues related to each other? I mean, at the core, they're about human dignity. Both issues are about human dignity. And if I say I believe in the dignity of the human person for the womb to the tomb, I mean it. And racism is an affront against a person's human dignity. And it has been practiced in a particular way to purposely undercut the dignity of human persons. Particularly, I talk a lot about anti-Black racism because of its long history in this country. And uh, the the other reason I, I talk about them is because it wasn't until like the Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and when I was on EWTN and I would be talking about these things that I realized that people who consider themselves very faithful pro-life Catholics didn't process the racism piece. Like their understanding of human dignity is anemic. And in fact, I received like such, frankly, racist hate mail from, you know, people who identify themselves as, as faithful Catholics, daily mass goers even, that I was like, oh my gosh, we are in need of catechesis and conversion on this issue. And where else are these people going to hear it if they aren't hearing it here? And so, you know, not much longer after that, you know, the largest EWTN affiliate dropped the show because it, um, as they said, was get contentious, was contentious. And then at the end of the year, EWTN didn't renew it. And um, but I was happy to have the time that I did have to be able to hopefully plant some seeds um, about the sin of racism so that people with, you know, if cooperating with the Holy Spirit can come to a point of conversion on the matter um, and and to deeply engage with what the church means about human dignity and that it's not conditional and that they also need to think about just like they'll talk about creating a culture of life. They have to realize within creating a culture of life, you have to contend with the evil of racism because it, it goes against trying to build a culture of life. So I talk about these two things because I want people to recognize they're not enemy issues they're not either or, it's a both end. There are attacks against the human person. There are attacks against uh, the dignity of the human person and attacks against creating a culture of life. And um, I think we need to talk more about it rather than less and look at the different ways in which um, this evil seduces us, right? A lot of people will say, oh yeah, racism doesn't exist. We have these laws and this and that and the other. And I, and I think that's just... Um, people do that not to contend with it, not to have to deal with the evil. And conversion is hard work. It's the work, it's our life's work till the day we die. And so to deal with something um, in terms of racism, particularly anti-Black racism, I will tell you, 
a lot of white Catholics feel extremely uncomfortable about it because they themselves don't want to do the, the thing that we always do as Catholics is examine ourselves for cooperation with sins. And to have the courage to examine yourself, to look at the things that maybe influence how you receive and perceive certain things, that's the work that we're supposed to do anyway, right? How else am I supposed to know when I'm avoiding the near occasion of sin if I can't even identify the occasions of sin in my life, right? Everybody's okay saying I'm a sinner, but nobody's okay saying, you know, I may have some racist tendencies. And I'm like, what? I mean, it's the same thing. And we all are fallen. We all have some some inclination to to do and say and think bad things, evil things. Um, yeah, I mean, this is what a mature Christian understands, right? Um, I, I'm not perfect. I'm not above it. And this is why I pray, why I know and understand I need the Lord to help me. And the good news is he wants to, right? So I talk about these things as a way to help people maybe do a little bit of that interior inspection to also encourage people that this is a part of the conversion that we all need as believing Catholics, particularly in a country where the effects of this evil are still with us, how we have to even look at how we're conditioned to receive things, because that's a part of the of, of converting. I mean, we asked this for people in terms of the issue um, of uh, looking at the life of the child in the womb, consider the language we use, our attitudes, our perceptions, how how is it, um, how are these stories conveyed to us, whether uh, in whatever type of media, why would we not also do this in, the, in terms of race? Why would we also not look at the history, specifically the history? So we don't do enough of it as Catholics. And so I want to give a space where we, where we can do that. And also to help white people realize they are victims of this evil too, in as much as they have been seduced by that lie. In as much as they've been conditioned, they are victims because this is about the enemy of the human person trying to destroy the human family and go directly against the plan that God has for our, our human flourishing and happiness. And racism is very much a part of that. And so as a person that's a believing Catholic, fully embracing the truth that we're all made in the image and likeness of God, nothing that you can do or have done can undo the truth of who God says you are and who, you know, so let's look into that truth. Let's, let's dive into that. Let's look at the ways in which we have, have, have failed. Let's look at the ways in which we've been seduced to believe something untrue, you know? So, yeah, that's why I talk about it so much. I don't think we talk about it enough, particularly racism as Catholics. Yeah, so let's, uh, so let's go into that directly then. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I reached out to you oh, yeah. um, a couple of months ago to ask if we could have this conversation after um, you had a podcast episode um, titled, uh, what are the anti-woke crusaders missing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and it seems like at least I've seen, there's been uh, growing criticism within um, American Catholic culture. Um, I don't know how we want to call that, but like American Catholic discussion. Yeah. Um, and I've even heard some Catholic speakers go as far as to give the impression that, that being woke is at odds with, oh, with being Catholic in some mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I wanted to ask first, um, because we use a lot of terms and I hear a lot of terms being used as um, 
in the same way, and I'm not sure that they're the same thing. Um, and even some of the terms we've used so far in this discussion. So mm. we hear things like um, racial justice, systemic racism, critical race theory, identity mm. politics, mm. being woke, being anti-racist, or mm. um, all of these things. Um, how, how do these terms overlap? How are they different? How, how are you using them? I think yeah. I want to start there. So woke is a term that originated in the Black community. And it really just means someone who's awakened to the suffering of another person and want to do something about it. And that's how I understand woke. And so it has been sickening to me to, to see the term used derisively. And frankly, when people use it, it comes off as if they're enemies of racial justice. It, it comes off as if this is a polite way to oppose racial justice without saying you oppose racial justice. Now, granted, people have added all these other things into, you know, it's become a catch-all category for people who oppose these things, right? And I wish they'd just be more specific about what they're talking about, because if you're not talking about racial justice, then say what it is that you're talking about, right? Respect the term as we have used it. But you know what? I'm not even going to fight it anymore. I'm not even... People can use it and they use it derisively. I recognize what I'm dealing with and how I might have to ask them, well, what do you mean exactly? You know, um, and ask them to really give specifics because I'm like, that's not what wokeism means. You know, that's not what being woke means at all. And I'm a Catholic and I am most definitely woke. How could you not be? Our whole, as, as believing Catholics, we are awakened to the sufferings of others and supposed to do something about it. You know, we, we're not asleep. <laughs> we're awake. We see what's happening and we want to do something about it. So that's how I understand being woke. That's how I use it, the term, you know, when I talk about being woke. And yes, I am Catholic and, and woke. And I completely reject the um, the straw man that people who oppose discussing racial justice um, have created. I just I completely reject that. Um, so that's what being woke means. And yes, a Catholic can be woke. Now, the other thing that's interesting to me is the same thing happened with identity politics, the term. Identity politics was a term that um, a Black female collective created, the, Kamb the Kambahi Collective. They have a, um, a document that they wrote to talk about you know, their, their ideals. Now, we might not agree with everything, but in there, they talked about being tired of being an, an ancillary to somebody else's movement for liberation. And so they wanted to start a politic of love around their identity as black women and working directly for their own liberation and well-being. And so that is where the term identity politics originated. That's what it meant. And yet again, was something else that black people coined and were using. Other people have taken it and perverted it to mean something bad, to mean something terrible. And it just, the disrespect in there, right? The... um the, how should I say this, the gall to take what people meant and to pervert it so that people will be aligned against it whenever they hear it, to me, it's just diabolical. And we've seen that done with identity politics. And it was something that was like shocking to me because uh, someone I knew had written this book about identity politics and I had to call her up and I was like, what in the world are you talking about? I was like, because that is not at all how I understand identity politics. I said, and furthermore, as Catholics, we engage in identity politics. What do you think religious liberty is? That's what do you think the civil rights movement was? And so why are why as you, you know, are seeing it, why is this this terrible, bad thing? 
And then I remember reading this um, professor from Catholic University of America saying, I can't remember if he said it on Twitter or what, but he was saying, well, if white people started having a, a politics, I was like, you do. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what do you think all these laws that, you know, <laughs> that purposely disenfranchise black people? What do you think of? I mean, that that was a, the, the whole problem in the colonies is they created laws around white identity and made whiteness a royal status, if you will. Right. Whereas God in his word in Genesis 126 gave us all a royal status when he said we are made in his image and likeness. But in law and in this uh, politic they had around um, enshrining whiteness with a royal status in order to subjugate Africans and enslave them, that was a, a, a identity politics. But it, it was a perversion of love. That was a perversion. It was not uh, in the true sense of love or care for themselves. It was a perversion. And we're dealing with the effects of that to this day. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I've just been I was like, what, what are they talking about? And same thing with critical race theory. I was, as people are responding to critical race theory, I was like, that's not critical race theory. Critical race theory is actually, I mean, it's an analysis of race and power through the lens of the law by legal scholars. It is highly nuanced, cannot be taught to kindergartners, cannot be taught to eighth grade. I was just like reading the stuff going, are you kidding me? And but but it but I will tell you, if you do not ever want to have to analyze or consider anything in terms of justice along racial lines, you would want people not to consider critical race theory as a viable tool. Because I will tell you, they they do analyze uh, analyze and reveal certain assumptions in the law, and how it negatively impacts certain communities, you know, by design. And how there were certain assumptions built into the law that maybe we need to revisit. Is this actual justice? And there's nothing wrong with that, right? You don't have to agree with every conclusion of critical race theory, but the idea that you have to throw this whole theory out is just crazy to me, particularly from Catholics. What? Are you kidding me? We we usually examine things. We don't just out of the, you know, just dismiss it because I'm scared, you know? <laughs> We, especially if we believe we have the light of the truth, we are not afraid to engage. And so this sort of notion that, oh, if you even talk about critical race theory or study it, that you're engaging in evil is just dumb. Yeah, the, the um, kind of the narrative that I've heard most, most predominantly that's been, been critical of wokeism or critical race theory is that um, it's... Uh, associated with Marxism, and therefore oh, yeah. we can't, uh, we, and therefore we can't or shouldn't engage with it. But it seems to me like what you're describing is um, these terms, these ideas, have just come out of Black Americans trying to articulate their own experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, the father of critical race theory, Derek Bell, is an African American uh, Harvard Law professor, Christian. Uh, they wanted to engage with these things deeply. And um, and they're critical race theorists of all races. There are white ones, Asian ones, Native American. You know, it's, it's the gamut of people coming together and analyzing law and power as it impacts race in our country. So 
Also, the idea that, oh, yeah, I mean, some parts of critical race theory, I mean, these were people that had, but critical race theory, oh, this is so deep, too deep to get into. They critique Marxism. You know what I mean? So it's this idea that, oh, therefore, it somehow dealt with Marx and therefore this and that we got to reject. I, I just don't buy that. I'm like, how is it the case that we're going to say that we can't analyze something because some of the people involved in uh, critical race theory in the early discussions had a Marxist point of view? Not everybody, but sure, some. And also this whole thing about what I find particularly galling is that Black people couldn't talk about the oppression unless some white dude in Germany told us about it. Give me a break. That is so insulting. I, it just, oh, you know, so, oh, that's Marx. That's, I was like, uh, you do understand. We understand our own oppression and have been talking about it since the first time we uh, resisted being enslaved, you know? Uh, and so this notion that racial justice or woke is tied to Marx exclusively is just insulting to Black people's ability to comprehend the conditions in which they live and resist injustice, you know? So it's super insulting when people say that. I was like, they just don't know. And I, I, the only thing I can gather is they've never really for a moment that thought about us as, as thinking beings that can react to our own suffering. The, the thing that has struck me the most about hearing these discussions is, um, so, I mean, I'm the nerd who likes reading papal encyclicals, and uh -huh. um, I really love Catholic social teaching. And to me, there seems to be just a tremendous amount of mm -hmm. overlap in Catholic social thought with things like um, ideas concerning systemic racism and being woke and critical race theory. To me, I mean, within Catholic social doctrine, there's things like um, we have this idea of structures of sin, that yes. sin is not just a personal thing, that yes. it creates <laughs> cultures and institutions. Yes. Um, I mean, I think it was Archbishop um, Chapu from Philadelphia who said that racism mm -hmm. is the original sin uh, of the United States, mm -hmm. um, which captures this idea of something that's not a personal sin, but something mm -hmm. that creates the, um, these webs right? These structures of sin within society. I mean, John Paul II talked about that, okay? When he talks about structures of sin and they're made by the individual choices of people to sin and how they build on each other and create these structures would seem difficult to undo. That's what systemic racism is, period, right? Uh, if people feel more comfortable talking about it as a structure of sin, maybe that that helps them recognize it. I, I remember actually the first time I heard the term anti-racist was in a document that, um, by the P Pontifical Commission on Justice and Peace. I think it was called the Church and Racism. They used the term anti-racist and it didn't cause any, you know, <laughs> nobody was flipping out about it, right? Granted, it's a lot older than um, our current discussions where people use the term anti-racist, but I understood intuitively what they meant by the term anti-racist against racism. But now it's like, if you use the term anti-racist, people like freak out instead of just considering the plain meaning against racism. So yeah, I mean, we've got a lot to do. I think that, that, that was back in 1986. I think that the document, the church and racism, I might be wrong, but it's a, it's an old document. So anti-racist is not a new term. <laughs> you know. 
and and the the counter in Catholic social thought to um, to structures of sin mm. is solidarity. Um, yes. And so this is how the compendium of the social doctrine of the church defines solidarity. It says it's a personal virtue, which is more than a, a vague feeling of compassion. Yes. But rather, it's a stable desire and pattern of behavior, a firm and persevering determination to commit oneself to the common good. I hear that. Whoa. And I think of someone being woke. I, think I do someone, too. <laughs> right? Yeah. You, that's you exactly become right. aware of, and not just in a sentimental way, but in a way that's convicting. Yes. To the structures of sin and injustice around you, and you work to correct that. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I, I don't see anybody couldn't think that, but it's when um, people want to make it right versus left, Republican versus Democrat, they use the term in a derisive way to signal where they already land. Instead of coming from the place of, you know, what do we as Catholics, what does our faith tell us? How does our faith um, shine a light on human relations, right? And what are the human family? Um, I, I mean, I think, you know, our church tries to tell us something through corporal works of mercy, you know, and spiritual works of mercy, right? That orient us to other people and yeah guess what if you're doing those things you're woke <laughs> shelter the homeless comfort the sick feed the hungry give drink to the first thirsty uh bury the dead you know visit the sick and imprisoned that's caring about somebody else but also caring about the conditions that led to the kind of privation that they're experiencing so in terms of racial justice right um, justice in a very Catholic sense, understanding means every person receives what they are due. We are looking at from a racial lens, what are people not receiving that they are due and they aren't receiving it on account of their race. They aren't receiving it on account of systemic racism where decisions perhaps made a long time ago for racist reasons are still having a negative impact, right? So, that's that's what this is about. And if we don't recognize, my goodness, if watching the murder of George Floyd didn't help you realize, oh, my gosh. Yeah, nobody should be treated like that. And let's let's look at the, the way that race and policing, you know, is played out in our country and recognizing its roots from the slave patrols, you know, in the earliest parts of the country. And then how during the Great Migration. You know, some of these police forces went back to the racist South and recruited guys there, recruited people there to come and police in their parts where these um, black people were moving to. What do we think they took with them? So it's a deeper conversation that people need to have, but it does require you to engage in some history. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. And, and to figure out that these things aren't just new. And by the way, black people have been talking about police brutality for a better part of 100 years. Right. So this shouldn't be surprising or new. And this whole let me also add this white privilege, which people seem to think is like this new term. The boys talked about this kind of stuff. OK, black intellectuals have been talking about this forever, that, you know, there's a way white people can move through the world. and There's a way we got to move through the world. OK, and there may be people listening saying, I didn't grow up rich. I didn't look white privilege isn't saying you haven't had struggles. It's just saying of all the struggles you've had, race is not one of them. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, people need to understand, understand what these terms mean. And it's not about 
we're not out here trying to make white people feel bad. That's not, I don't, I'm not, get out of your feelings, folks. <laughs> what we're trying to do is look at how can we have a more just world in light of the fact that there have been and are real injustices intentionally created on account of race that goes back before the founding of this country. And also as believers, we understand that the effects of sin can outlive the person that commits the sin. Yeah. Okay. And so we're, we're dealing with that. We're, we're dealing with that. And um, I, it's been disappointing and sometimes frustrating and sometimes makes me sad to see Catholics who proclaim to be like super faithful, then just really um, don't want to deal with the evil of racism. And I'm like, but if you love God, what God finds odious, you should find odious. And racism is a sin against God. Believe me, it is odious to him. So how could you, as a person who loves God, not be concerned about this? It just... <laughs> Shocking. I, I love one way that you're you're talking about this, Gloria, and um, it kind of makes me think of there. There are some groups who will, as you've said, have co-opted these terms to use them as uh, shame mechanisms, um, to, to use them in, in aggressive ways to create division and warfare, mm -hmm. whatever. But then there's the, the other way of, of of tackling these topics, which is the way that you're doing. And I love the gentility and the hope that oh. you're bringing to this discussion because it makes me think of um, uh, like a good confessor. You go to confession to somebody, you don't want a priest who's going to beat you around the head with how bad you were. Right. But you know, you don't change <laughs> when that happens because it's being forced onto you from the outside as opposed to like what I'm hearing you're doing here is someone to, to, for like a confessor or for someone in a position of pain or authority to say, it may not be your fault that you've inherited this this stuff. And you may be completely blind to it because it never occurred to you and it never needed to maybe until this moment. Right. And it, it's like original sin. We didn't ask for it. It's just a condition of how, how we live. Yes. Now the question is, what is your response to it? And whether you choose to ignore it or buy into it or do something differently about it, that is the more important part. Like you said, get out of your feelings and don't shame don't fall into the the spiral of, of shame and it's that which i i see everywhere is wanting mm -hmm. to negate these issues yeah. and, and shove them back under the carpet or just simply deny that they they cannot be there because whatever reasons but i like how you, the way that you're approaching it which is you may have this this just may be a thing what are you going to do about it who are you going to be what do you do with the right. wounds that you have yes uh, you know i <laughs> But isn't, I mean, that's, that's, gen, that's the message vis-a-vis -vis sin, right? We never succumb to it. We certainly don't deny it exists, right? We want to be wide-eyed about it. We want to recognize it. We want to dig those things out of us and get, get rid of it, right? Because that's a part of growing in holiness. And that's our walk as believers until the moment we die, we are trying to grow in holiness, to convert, to become closer to God, um, and that requires a change. It requires an, an introspection, right? An examination of our conscience, conscience, um, all of these things, right? And really, I, I hope it also has people to consider how they have been formed on the issue of racism. You know, I, 
it, I, I am very much disturbed by the things that um, I see um, Catholics imbibing, you know, um, about racism. They don't see it as, they aren't considering it as a sin, right? They just see it as the exercise of power or lack thereof, right? We need to understand at its root, at its core, it is a great evil that tries to contradict the word of God about who we are. And when you talked about solidarity, you know, I think, oh gosh, if I had written an article about this for our Sunday visitor, actually, uh, where I named actually specific instances of racism in Catholic spaces, anti-Black racism. But at the end of the article, I also talked about St. Martin de Porres, who had the grace of actually seeing every person as a brother or sister in Christ, as made an image and likeness of God. And because of that, he was able to love in the way that he did love. And so I was saying, you know, let's ask for his intercession that we'd be given that grace as well, right? Because, you know, unless it's it's um, Bull Connor, people like, oh, can't be racist. So that's why I named specific examples I saw in Catholic spaces that are definitely racist. Um, and, and I'll just give you an example here just for our listeners. I was reading Catholic publication, not America Magazine, by the way, and a professor from Catholic University of America was writing about how angry he was and how unjust it was that Harvard University withdrew its acceptance of a student who was found to have used racial slurs when he was in high school. And the professor goes on and says that this person has shown extreme contrition. And I was like, how? He never specifically apologized to the Black community nor to the Black athletes that he used this racial slur with. He, 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 he just gave these just general thing about how embarrassed I am. This is not me. I've asked the Harvard Diversity Office for help. I was like, that's not extreme contrition from a Catholic lens. You know, that, that, that is absolutely not. And in fact, the professor doesn't even use the term racist or racist language in his, in his article. He spends the entire time um, being very angry with Harvard, saying that they have no grace, there's no forgiveness. And, you know, of course, the left is not a forgiving. There's nothing you can. And I, and, I, and I just want him to back up and say, why is it in a Catholic paper from a Catholic professor, you couldn't actually explain why language purposely used to de dehumanize Black people has a negative impact on the community, spiritual and otherwise. Why not even engage with that to give that Catholic insight? I mean, it's almost as if getting into Harvard was more important than getting into heaven. Because if that young man who had used all that racial slur read this, there was nothing in there really contending with why what he did was deeply wrong, was evil. And even like what kind of influences or conditioning might have made him feel that it was fine to do that. Instead, he blamed the people who... Re revealed that he had said these things. Um, and I just thought he's indifferent to the suffering of black people. He's not, um, he didn't think this child, this person, I wouldn't call him a child, this young man even deserved any consequences. And I was like, he never contended with what he could have said and done better, you know, or even in his letter to Harvard, you know, to actually name it. And 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 can consider the impact upon the people he wronged. It, none of that happened in this piece. If anything, it was a 
a piece that forget whatever happened to black people. They don't, they're not even really relevant here. You know, that's not even if anything worth uh, considering or examining. The only thing that we need to talk about is how he needed to be allowed into Harvard. He should not have faced these tough consequences. And I'm like, by the way, I, I've, I've, I've interviewed kids for admission to Ivy leagues an Ivy league university. Okay. Guess what? There's such a thing as a gap year. There are things that people could take time off, go work on whatever it is and reapply. But none of that was, and it was, to me, an example of how someone has been conditioned in a manner to be indifferent to the suffering of Black people um, or even hostile to anybody receiving consequences because they harmed the Black community in some way. So that was just one example I had, I had given of seeing racism in a Catholic space. And and it wasn't the Bull Connor type of racism. But what you saw, I imagine if this is what something is somebody's writing publicly, what is he saying privately? I I, I like the language that you're using of, of sin and repentance. And I think that that type of language gets at something that, um, so I'm in a master's program for counseling and um, mm. we, we, we talk about diversity, we talk about racism, but it's from a very secular perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it's been really good information. But something that's missing is this language of sin and this language of like, this professor is doing a disservice to this student yes. by, by not calling them to repentance. Because it's not like, it's not like racism is about me as a white person feeling bad or serving other people. Right. It's also about like, this is harming me. Yes. It's it harming is. my whole community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that should motivate me to self-examination. And that should motivate me to repentance and to, and to action. It's deforming. It deforms us. It, 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 it tries to break the bonds of the human family. And the other thing that also struck me was that this professor wrote it, but it was a Catholic publication. So all these other Catholic editors had to see it before it got published. No one along the way said, hey, maybe we also need to consider this, you know, you know, in a, since we're a Catholic publication, we talk about spiritual things of faith. Could we, you know, delve into nothing? And so I was like, oh, gee, you know, <laughs> oh, gosh. But it's something that we need to 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 think about. I think yeah. just to be, um, I think we just need to examine things as they come to us. You know, that's something that you spend a lot of time on in your show is talking about, um, talking about racism within the church, and mm -hmm. you you talk about that um, historically. Um, mm -hmm. I think a recent episode you you had. Um, uh, his uh, historian on talking about the ways that the church had even participated in and encouraged the transatlantic slave trade. Oh yeah. Father Kellerman. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You also, um, you, you've, you've talked about how the church participated in um, segregation and Jim Crow and things like that in the United mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. um, and you've talked just now about how even today, the um, members of the body of Christ still participate in racism. Um, so I guess a couple of questions with that. One is, um, how do you handle, how do you handle that profound discrepancy within the church? Like recognizing that the church is both 
holy. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the sacrament of salvation. Mm -hmm. Um, But the church is also like sinful and ugly at times as well. Yeah. Because people are in it. Yeah. (laughs) Including myself. But what I, I, so maybe I should go back to how I became a Catholic. So I'm a convert, a child convert to Catholicism, Um, was a lone Catholic in my family. And um, I really think it was uh, God's mercy that um, at 12 years old, I had a mystical experience when I was at adoration um, at Catholic school. And that truth that I encountered during adoration has never left me that it's real. It's alive. It's, it's, it's real. And that truth, I think has made me like, well, I say I'm like a barnacle on the side of a ship. Ain't nothing getting me off the church or get nothing, nothing separate me. Just, it just can't. Um, and I know it's because of that radical truth that the Lord had me encounter at that time in my life for his particular reasons, I think to help me and what my walk was going to be. I had to, I am in no, I have no doubt about the real presence in the Eucharist. I have no doubt about the sacraments. I just, it's, and it has helped me when I encounter the very kinds of things that usually folks want to run out the church and leave, right? But I realized that, well, I sin too. Why do I do that? Even though I know the truth, right? Um, and it's just because we're weak and we're human and we're flawed. Um, but our Savior is not. And the love that he has for us is real. And... I just, I can't envision leaving. I can't envision being away from the sacraments. I can't imagine not being able to go to sacrament of reconciliation and to express to the Lord in that way that he established for us um, my sorrow and my desire to be reconciled to him. And, um, and I'm not bothered that there's a priest there. It just totally makes sense in the whole order of things that when you sin, you know, you rupture human relationships and, you know, and, and God is present there in, in, you know, with the priest. And so on a supernatural level and in a human level, there's a healing when you go through the sacrament of reconciliation. I mean, that's my little short kind of not getting too deep into it. I, how could I ever allow myself to be separated from that? How could I ever walk away from the Eucharist? Gracious, no. I just, it's just too foreign to me, even when I've had some extremely painful, terrible relationships within the church. And, um, but I also think about Christ carrying his cross, the extremely painful, terrible things that he experienced out of love for me and with his um, desire that I have a chance at heaven. And so I try to unite my little teeny tiny suffering you know, with his. And um, if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, that also means I've got to take up my cross and follow him. However, you know, the cross presents itself. And, um, and I also don't necessarily get so all up in myself about somebody else doing this. Cause sometimes I think about, well, Lord, I love you yet. I freely choose to sin against you. And I'm sure you have taken a lot of licks and blows because of my sinfulness. So I sometimes sit with that too, you know? Um, as we're wrapping up, we like to give, uh, our listeners 
something practical to walk away with. Mm. Um, so what would you say to, um, especially a Catholic, listening to this conversation, mm. feeling challenged by it, maybe feeling compelled by it, like as a first step or two towards um, uh, moving into a space of being woke or being in solidarity um, and being anti-racist? Mm. I would love to invite everybody, and this is something small that they can do, um, to get a some kind of image of Christ that's of a black man and put that somewhere in their house. And when they're doing their devotions, look at that. Because I think um, how we conceive of holiness impacts how we think of things. And because blackness in this country has been associated with bad, evil, lazy, promiscuous, um, vice, basically everything opposite of virtue. I think we need sort of like a psychological exorcism where we could see something that we know is holy and beautiful and good and put the humanity um, of black people there. So, and that's something quiet. You don't even have to tell anybody. That's something simple that you can do, something simple and practical that you can do. And in fact, if I get a chance, I will send you a divine mercy image I have where Jesus is black. And many, many years ago, my husband and I had gone to the, the Divine Mercy folks in Massachusetts, because we found this image. We don't even remember where we found it. And we sent it off and said, is this okay? And they were like, yep, it's got the words, Jesus, I trust in you, has the red and the white, it's, it's all good. So we were like, bet, <laughs> I'll send that to you. So if you could put it in the link, because maybe people are like, I need an image, I don't have a, they can use that. And I'll take an image of, let me show it to you. You can see it here. Sorry, listeners can't, but see that crucifix, that was a gift to me from my in-laws. If I can, I'll take a picture of that. And you can also include that for uh, your 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 listeners uh, as something they can use practically um, in their day to day. And then one other practical thing I'm going to suggest is read the history of Black Catholics in the United States by Cyprian Davis OSB. He's dead now. He was a African American Benedictine monk, and he writes about the history of Black Catholics in the United States, and it's quite eye opening to see how really everything that we have here has been at this insistence of the popes. I mean, the first seminary for black men, the Holy Father was like, do it. <laughs> and then you also see some of the bishops attitudes about evangelizing black people. One bishop said, you got to cut their head off first kind of stuff. So it's just a, an, just an interesting history. I think for people to understand a little, just a little bit more about um, the treatment of black Catholics in the United States by the church. Um, and also listen to my interview I do with um, Professor Greg Hillis about Father August Thompson. If you can check that interview out, it'll also give you a more recent understanding of how this Black priest who died in 2019, what he experienced in the church as a priest. There's something that's much more maybe recent than, um, uh, than uh, Venerable Augustus Tolton just so people, just to, to help people. And of course, I'm going to say my Word on Fire Institute <laughs> video series on the church and racism. So those are three things, I think. Choose one or none, but that's something, just throwing it out there practically that you can uh, do. Thank you. And I would encourage everyone to subscribe uh, to Gloria Purvis's podcast as well. Oh yeah, please do. Thank you. <laughs> like I said, it's been something personally for me that has helped me um, to become more aware, to grow in solidarity has been just listening to 
uh, the stories of people different than me and listening yeah. to their experiences. And your yeah. podcast has been um, an important avenue for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and it's been wonderful talking to so many people um, on and off there, actually, about so many of these issues. Um, and there's so much more that we can do. And I really believe the church is the answer. The church is the antidote to evil. And I, 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 I lean on her, you know, I trust her. And, um, and I know that God wants us to do this because he wants us to be that one happy human family. That was his original plan. And of course we big dummies got to go and rebel. So <laughs> here we are, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm a very hopeful person too. That's the other thing. I'm a very hopeful person. I'm actually very happy. I'm very outgoing, even though I deal with some heavy issues. Um, and I see a lot of the ugly of humanity, but boy, I also see some of the beauty of it too. Yeah. So other than your podcast, Gloria, how can people find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis. I'm also on Instagram. I'm learning Instagram a little better. I am Gloria Purvis on Instagram. And then I'm on Facebook. I have not created a person page. So just Gloria Purvis on Facebook. Just come follow me, friend me, whatever. I'm I'm there. I hope and I hope to, you know, encounter more people. Awesome. Fantastic. And there just to confirm, there's no website where people can I am find the you worst yet? Catholic ever i really can't stand catholic celebrity I, I it frightens me it makes me uh think that you know it, it gets lost you know i'm about jesus christ and so i've really resisted having um a website um i've just for a long time um i've resisted being on social media for a long time until you know, someone convinced me that this is another way of being able to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm not there yet with the pot, with what do you call it? A website. I, I'm just, I'm praying about it, but I just, I'm not there yet. I'm so sorry. I'm the worst um, Catholic. That's, that's, I'm, that's I'm fine, the boy. worst. I'm the worst. I'm sorry. We'll grab links and, and we'll, we'll put them in the show notes so people can Thanks. easily find you and, and follow you. Folk, if you enjoyed uh, listening to this conversation with Gloria, please hit that like button right now. It does help. Well, if you're watching on uh, the YouTube replay, it does help YouTube and the algorithm sort of push this out to more people who are going to appreciate um, following this. We want to also take a moment to uh, thank our sponsor, for 2022, Select to Give. As they say, more Catholic leaders choose Select International Tours more than any other pilgrimage company. With 35 years of award-winning travel planning, they have a track record of excellence and faithfulness. And they're a small company with a big heart because every one of their pilgrimage trips helps to support and fund their 501c3 charity work, helping Christian families thrive in the Holy Land. So if you're ready to travel or if you're looking to lead a group of your own, take the next step your pilgrimage by visiting selectinternationaltours.com. Gloria, a, a massive thank you on behalf of myself and people at Smart Catholics. And uh, it's just been wonderful to have you on, on the Pope Francis generation. Thank you, Dominic and Paul. Um, it was really an honor to be here and speak with you both. And I hope that this, that your listeners find something of value in anything that, that was said uh, that I added to the conversation. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Even if they don't, I did. And that oh. this conversation has been fantastic. Thank Glory you. to God. Glory to God. Thank you. Paul, if folk have uh, follow-up questions on today's conversation, where can they go uh, to learn more about the show and maybe to get in touch with you? Uh, you can uh, you can follow me and support me at PopeFrancisGeneration.com. Um, and it's your support that allows 
podcasts like this and other projects that I do. Fantastic. So check us out at Pope Francis Generation. Dot com. And lastly, the show is brought to you by uh, smartcatholics.com. It's the online community for Catholic millennials, creators, and learners who want faithful conversations, unafraid of doubts and questions. If that sounds like you, come and check us out on smartcatholics.com. Till next time, friends, say a short prayer for yourself and for us. And remember, don't be afraid to ask questions. Doubts can be a sign that we want to know God better and more deeply. God bless you.